This is Come and See from the St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 16th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. The question which the Pharisees asked put Jesus in a real dilemma. They seem to like to do that, don't they? Let's see if we can really put the screws to him and put him in a bad space. If he said that it was unlawful to pay the tax, they would promptly report him to Caesar and to the Roman government as a sedacious person. And his arrest would be very quickly behind. If he said that it was lawful to pay the tax, then think how the Jews would feel towards him. So either way he turns, he's in trouble. He's discredited one way or the other. Now, not only did the people resent the taxation, and they certainly did because they were being taxed so heavily that by the time they made their paycheck, there was nothing left in it after the taxes had been taken out. But they resented it even more for religious reasons. To a Jew, God was the only king. Their nation was a theocracy. To pay taxes to an earthly king was to admit the validity of his kingship and thereby this insulted God in their eyes. Therefore, the more fanatical of the Jews insisted that any tax paid to a foreign king was absolutely positively necessarily wrong. Whichever way Jesus might answer so his questioners thought he would lay himself open to trouble. But Jesus was wise, and he asked to see a denarius. On the denarius was stamped the emperor's head. In ancient days, the coinage was the sign of kingship, and whoever was the leader at that time when they would become the leader, they would have new coins struck and there would be a new head of the leader that would be struck on the coin. And so the coinage was held to be the property of the kingship. The answer that Jesus had for them was that the um, image that was born on this on the coin was Caesar's image, and so therefore it was Caesar's. And so he said, "Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God." Now, we might think about when we hear this that 
Jesus was kind of doing an end run. Um, he was avoiding answering the question directly, but actually he has given us some important guidance on how we must live our lives as Christians. First of all, there is no denying that we owe our allegiance to the countries where we live. We certainly owe our allegiance to the United States. We say the Pledge of Allegiance. We look at the flag as something of tremendous significance in our lives. And we owe to pay taxes for the support of the governments so that the governments can continue to run um, and do the public services which we need to receive. But it's also equally true and undeniably stamped with the image of our creator. The word for image in Greek is ikori, from which we get the English word icon. And it's the same word used in Genesis to describe how humanity is created in the image of God, in the ikori. And although we were originally created by God and found to be good, his image on each of us was tarnished by our original sin. However, that image was renewed when the Son of God became one of us, when he suffered and he died and he rose again so that we could share eternal life with him once again. Now, on that last day, when we all come before our Creator at our final judgment, the Father will see in each of us not the image that has been muddied by sin, but he will see the glorified image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's probably the biggest thanks be to God we can possibly have. So what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of another person? Well, I'm sure that we all know that because we were made in the image and likeness of our parents, whether we like it or not, um, they have left their image on us, as has our family when a baby's born, and we do this so well in our family. Oh, he's got so-and-so's nose and such-and-such's eyes and so-and-so's chin, and, you know, you go through all of the family members that you can see something that resembles the child within that family member. And it's just a part of, of who we are. We belong to our families. When I found my biological parents or when they found me, it was fascinating to look back after not seeing anybody that looked like me other than my kids. It was fascinating to look back and see, oh, my brother and I,
almost 30 years since I last heard my father's voice, but the echoes remain. I can still hear the slightly Midwestern accent, strangely rough and soft at the same time, and I can hear him singing loud and off-key and whistling as he worked in his garden, whispering to my mother and calling out to my sisters and me. I'm sure if you think back, your parents probably had some kind of, of thing that they did like that. When my dad worked, he whistled incessantly. And I had someone come and do something in my house to fix it, and I heard him whistle, and it just took me back of, oh my gosh, that sounds just like my dad. And it was kind of a neat sound to hear. I'm the youngest of my father's seven children. He was in his late 40s, soon to be a grandfather when I was born. And I was only 10 when he died. And he taught me many lessons in those few years we shared, but they were lessons of childhood. He taught me that if we sat very, very quiet and very, very patiently in the corner of the front yard, the squirrels would come to us. He taught me to sing Red River Valley and that watching westerns on television was a fine way to spend a Saturday afternoon. He tried to teach me that vanilla ice cream was better than chocolate. Nah. He succeeded in teaching me to always honor my mother and never lie to my parents. When it was time for the lesson of adolescence and adulthood, he was gone. Yet his influence on all of his children remained, and he has grown through the years, multiplied by the influence we have on each other. We do not all remember him in the same way. We have different memories and different visions and different lives. I still live in my father's house. It's mine and my husband's now. But my father's presence is here. Photographs of him hang on the walls, an enduring reminder as the memory fades. I recently talked to my brothers and sisters, wanting and needing to know what they remembered. What's the most important lesson that you learned from Daddy, I asked each of them. Faith, said the sister, whose belief in herself may sometimes waver, but whose trust in God remains constant. Her overflowing warmth comforts us all. Fidelity to principle, says the brother who stood alone in turmoil, strong enough to shake the surest foundation. He has never lost his temper and never been less than a total gentleman. He showed me that great calmness and great strength often go together, says the brother who opposed our father and confronted him head on. They both stood their ground and held fast to their principles. Through the conflict, they grew to love and respect each other even more. Hard work, said the brother who toils in the sun on the water. And he works long hours without complaining, knowing that the hardest work brings the greatest satisfaction. Morals, said the sister, who remains my lifelong model on how to be a good daughter, a good wife, and especially a good mother. Family first, always said the sister who works full-time, attends college part-time, 
and has never missed seeing her sons play in a baseball game. When my daughter was an infant, his sister came over to my house daily on her coffee break to cuddle her newborn niece. There are all these lessons from my father filtered through my brothers and sisters and the way they have lived their lives. I think of my father when I walk out on the patio he built, behind the house he built, where he raised his children and where I'm now raising mine. As I stand and look over the top of the white-budded camellias he planted, now grown as tall as trees, and see the same pines he saw so many years ago, still swaying in the wind, I know the most important lesson I learned from my father, that home is the heaven you make for yourself on earth. It is where you can smell the flowers and feel the breeze, and where if you're very, very quiet, you can sense your father's presence all around you. And now, 30 years later, when we are all together, brothers and sisters and husbands, wives, sons and daughters, our voice and our laughter come together to form one voice. And as I listen, it's my father's voice. We all bear the image of our parents. And we all have qualities which we have learned from them, both good and bad. But if we're made in the image and likeness of God, then what have we learned from him? More specifically, what have we learned from the one whom the Father sent to teach us about him? What have we learned from Jesus? Are we models of those qualities? Do we know the qualities with which he's taught us? What are those qualities? As we heard in last week's gospel, in order to one day join in the eternal wedding banquet in heaven, we need to put on the clothing of righteousness, and we need to put it on here on earth. And as Paul summarized in his letter to the Colossians, these are qualities that are compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness. But above all, clothe yourself with love, Paul says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. These are the qualities which every Christian must model. Why? Why must every Christian model these qualities? What does that do for us and for the world? Anybody? It shows the true nature of our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? It also shows what Jesus came to teach us. Meekness. Patience. Righteousness. Compassion. Humility. Patience. 
forgiveness, and above all, love. When we show these, then we are truly made in the image and the likeness of God. And if we do this on earth, then one day God will recognize us as the image of his son. And then as the author of the story noted, all of the voices of the husbands and the wives and the sisters and the brothers and the sons and the daughter, all of the voices, all of our voices, all of our laughter will come together and it will form one voice. It will form the voice of our Father, our Father in heaven. One voice, God's voice. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.